Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, if you want to donate, if you donate $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and From John to Justin, and on social media. If you donate $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by you with your name at the start. It's also stated it's sponsored by you on social media. If you donate $20, you get everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And if you donate $50, you get everything from the $5, $10, and $20, plus you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. You can also donate at buymeacupofcoffee slash craigu, and all of these links will be in my show notes. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to Bairdo37. And if you like, you can find weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. You can also find transcripts of every episode I've ever done on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. I'd also like to say thank you to Kiki Wally, who left me a wonderful five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It reads, A great listen to those obsessed with Canadian politics. I've been binge listening for the past few weeks and especially enjoyed the episodes reviewing the official opposition leaders and the Governor General episode on Fitzmaurice. I'm really glad you're enjoying it, and thank you. These kind of reviews make my day and help me going with this whole crazy podcast journey. Thank you. Before I start, I want to say welcome to the newest patron of the podcasts, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Keelan Pregnitz. Thank you for becoming a patron. I really appreciate it. As we progress into the 20th century, the role of the Governor General would continue to change. And we're getting closer to the Canadian-born Governors General. Today we're going to be looking at Prince Arthur, the seventh child and third son of Queen Victoria, who would become the first member of the royal family to serve as Governor General of Canada. Throughout this episode, even though he is known mostly as the Duke of Connaught, I will refer to him as Arthur. Arthur was born on May 1st, 1850 in Buckingham Palace, and throughout his childhood he was often considered to be the favourite child of Queen Victoria. As a young man he developed an interest in the military, and that would lead him to attend the Royal Military College in 1866. Commissioned as a lieutenant with the Corps of Royal Engineers on June 18, 1868, he would subsequently serve in the Royal Regiment of Artillery and the Rifle Brigade. During his time in the military, he would serve in Ireland, Egypt, India, South Africa, and Canada. In Canada, he was an officer with the Montreal Detachment of the Rifle Brigade, where he helped defend Canada during the Fenian Raids. He would write upon arrival in Montreal, quote, Most anxious am I to consider for the time being Montreal as my home, and to lose no opportunity of becoming fully acquainted with its institutions, its people, and its commerce, end quote. As a member of the royal family, he would also be an emissary for the Queen and would spend two months in Canada touring. He would travel throughout the country and even visit Washington, D.C. in January 1870, where he met with President Ulysses S. Grant. As a prince, he would attend balls, garden parties, and even became the first member of the royal family to attend the opening of Parliament during that time. 
On October 1st, 1869, he was given the title of Chief of the Six Nations at the Grand River Reserve in Ontario and the name of Cavacouche, which meant sun flying from east to west under the guidance of the Great Spirit. The honour was part of a large ceremony consisting of about 500 Indigenous chiefs, men and women and children. Arthur had asked for the honour, which had been granted by the chiefs. The Brantford newspaper wrote, quote, It is an old custom among the Indians to feast upon a buffalo provided by the newly made chiefs, but as buffaloes are somewhat scarce in the Indian territory, the largest ox to be found is generally taken in its place, and the meat is eaten is imagined to be the real buffalo meat, end quote. The Brantford newspaper continued, stating, quote, Prince Arthur was very proud of being a Six Nations chief, and he would feel pleased to see them enjoy themselves. All were welcome to the feast. End quote. Pauline Johnson, the celebrated Indigenous poet, was at the ceremony and would write years later, quote, Young Arthur was delighted. Royal lads are pretty much like all other boys. The unique ceremony would be a break in the endless round of state receptions, banquets, and addresses. End quote. Around this time, Lady Lisgar, wife of the current Governor-General Lord Lisgar, wrote a letter to Queen Victoria expressing her hope that Arthur would one day become Governor-General. But Arthur didn't just have fun. He was there to do a job with the military, and he did just that. On May 25, 1870, he fought against the Fenians during the Battle of Eccles Hill. Arthur was having a dinner party when he heard that the Fenians were approaching. The Montreal Star wrote, quote, the prince, hearing that his regiment was under orders to leave for the front, immediately took leave of his host and hostess and proceeded to Point St. Charles. It is said that when the news first reached his ears, he, in a tone of voice which fully bore out the words, muttered, Hang the Fenians, and who will say the suggestion was not a good one? End quote. The battle saw 680 Fenian militia and one cannon attack 600 members of the 60th Canadian Battalion. Arthur was put in charge of 110 men from the Royal Artillery and 250 volunteers from Montreal. The battle would be a victory for the Canadians who lost no one, but the Fenians suffered two dead and 18 wounded. First service in the battle, he was presented with the Fenian Medal. He would write of the battle, quote, We opened fire and they rapidly broke up, end quote. On May 24, 1874, Arthur would become the Duke of Connaught. Five years later, he would marry Princess Louise Margaret of Prussia at Windsor Castle. Together, they would have three children. And the marriage would be a happy one, but Arthur would always maintain a relationship with Lady Leslie, the sister of Jeannie Churchill, the mother of Sir Winston Churchill. Arthur would continue in his military career for the next two decades, eventually rising to the rank of general. He had hoped to become the commander-in-chief of the British Army, a post held previously by his brother, Prince George. But this would not happen. In 1882, he became the last member of the royal family to lead a major battle formation, which he did at the Battle of Tel al-Kabir in Egypt. Maclean's would describe Arthur's focus on the military in 1911, stating, quote, He will worry himself into fidgets over the shoes worn by a regiment. Time and again he has invaded a garrison in India to see whether the bayonets are clean. He is known by sight to thousands of private soldiers in the British Army from Egypt all the way to India. He has tasted the food, tested the medicine, and even carried the items for the private soldier in performance of his perpetual inspection. End quote. While Arthur was not popular with officers, privates liked him as they always put great importance on their health. In 1890, the Duke and Duchess came to Canada and took a cross country trip on the Canadian Pacific Railway, becoming the first members of the royal family to cross Canada on the railroad. 
On June 26, 1902, he would become a field marshal and served as the Commander-in-Chief of Ireland from 1900 to 1904. On March 6, 1911, Arthur was appointed as the Governor-General of Canada. His brother-in-law, the Duke of Argyle, had served in the position as well. Maclean's would write of Arthur, quote, He has at times shunned the crowd. He has brought up three children in complete seclusion. He avoids with an almost morbid dread anything calculated to render him the focus of the public eye. End quote. The Edmonton News Plain Dealer also praised Arthur, calling him a man of highest character, very painstaking and very just. It would continue, stating, quote, Like most quiet men of effective character, the Duke of Connaught is a careful thinking, and some of his epigrams show a profound grasp of human philosophy over a wide range of subjects. End quote. Many Canadians were not only happy that a member of the royal family was coming to stay in Canada, but that it was Arthur who was so familiar with the country. The North Vancouver Express would write, quote, The Duke's connection with Canada is a long and pleasant one. Forty years ago, when a young man of 20, the Duke came to Canada and served as a soldier during the Fenian raids. Since then, the Duke has several times returned to Canada, each time enhancing not only his own, but his family's popularity, end quote. On October 13, 1911, he was sworn in as the Governor-General of Canada, becoming the first member of the royal family to do so. The arrival of Arthur was a major event in Quebec City. Guns shot a royal salute for the prince, and Arthur was greeted by Sir Charles Fitzgerald, the acting Governor-General. A guard of honour was present, and a band played music as British flags flew around the area. Arthur would state in his first speech as Governor-General, I thank you for which the hearty and loyal welcome which in the name of the province of Quebec you have extended to the Duchess and myself. Your province, rich in historical memories, is usually the first to welcome the new Governor-General and bid him Godspeed at the end of his tenure of office. Thus, his first and last impressions of Canada are fraught with that atmosphere of prosperity and progress which characterizes your beautiful land." Soon after arriving, Arthur would open Parliament, wearing his full field marshal's uniform. When Arthur became Governor-General, the young men who played football on the grounds around Rideau Hall suddenly lost their area to play, which had been established by Earl Grey. Arthur did not realize that this was the case, and when he found out, he personally spoke with the men and told them they could use the grounds and that he would like to see a game around Thanksgiving of that year. The Ottawa Citizen reported, quote, He expressed a desire to see how the Canadian rugby game was played, stating that he was an old football player himself, end quote. Coming to Canada, Arthur brought with him his wife and their youngest daughter. Arthur quickly found himself to be very popular with Canadians, and they would travel throughout the country during their time in Canada. This included a stop at the 1912 Calgary Stampede, and at the Stampede, Arthur and his daughter Patricia retreated to a large display of cowboys, the Indigenous, and a parade. The Ottawa Journal would write years later, quote, The Duke of Connaught toured Canada from coast to coast. In a month after his arrival in Ottawa, the Duke paid visits to nearby cities including Montreal, Kingston, Toronto, and Hamilton. In the early summer of 1912, he toured western Ontario, part of Quebec, and then went to Winnipeg. Four days a week, Arthur would work at his office at Parliament Hill and hold private receptions with dignitaries and other members of various political parties. He would also serve as a member in good standing of the Toronto Press Club. Sir John Wilson would say of Arthur while introducing him to the Toronto Canadian Club, quote, 
In all his relations with the Canadian people, the Governor-General had borne himself with the quiet dignity of a prince, the broad sympathy of a democrat, and the fine courtesy of an English gentleman. End quote. Like other Governors-General, he and his wife were not fans of Rideau Hall. The Duchess would write it resembled, quote, a gymnasium flanked by a riding school with a very poor little church connecting the two. End quote. The First World War would break out while Arthur was in Canada as Governor-General, and while he was serving as the Colonel-in-Chief of the Cape Town Highlanders Regiment, he remained in Canada throughout the war. Throughout the war, Arthur was active in the war effort, encouraging military training and readiness of Canadian troops, charities, and conducting hospital visits. His wife, the Duchess of Connaught, would work with the St. John Ambulance, the Red Cross, and many other organizations in Canada. His daughter, Princess Patricia, would lend her name and support to the new Canadian regiment, the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Connaught was often critical of the wartime leadership of Canada, though. While he remained friends with Robert Borden, he privately would state that he was a weak wartime leader. Connaught would also try to have Sir Sam Hughes dismissed from his post as the Minister of Militia. I looked at the life of Hughes on my other podcast, Canada's Great War, and let me tell you, he was a real piece of work. As a man who spent his life in the military, Arthur relished the role of the soldier. Throughout the war, he would wear his field marshal's uniform and would address troops at barracks and training grounds, often without the guidance of his ministers. For Prime Minister Sir Robert Borden, he was not pleased with this, and he felt Arthur was overstepping himself as Governor-General. Borden would say of Arthur that he, quote, labored under the handicap of his position as a member of the royal family and never realized his limitations as Governor-General, end quote. Arthur's time as Governor-General would eventually come to an end on November 11, 1916, two years to the day before the end of the war. After leaving Canada, one of his first trips was to France, where he visited with the Canadian troops on the front lines in the trenches. In 1916, just before his departure, Arthur would lay down the same cornerstone that his older brother, the late King Edward VII, had set down on September 1, 1860, at the Parliament Buildings. The buildings had suffered a terrible fire the previous year and were currently back under construction. Upon his leaving, he would say in a speech at the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto, quote, It is with the greatest regret of both the Duchess and my daughter and myself that we are leaving the Canadian shore. I should not like you to think that I am relatively a new Canadian. In coming back, I came to the country which I knew fairly well, and which had already shown to me the greatest kindness." End quote. After the war, Arthur would commission a stained glass window at Bartholomew's Church in Ottawa to honour the fallen soldiers of Canada. Sadly, his wife, who had been ill living in Canada, would pass away in March 1917. In the months after her death, Arthur was described as others as looking weary and old with service. For the remainder of his life, Arthur would mostly just attend public engagements and travel throughout the British Empire. Guard of Honour, part of the Eton contingent of the officers' training corps, was inspected by the Duke of Connaught before His Royal Highness, the Colonel-in-Chief of the Rifle Brigade, and veiled a memorial tablet in honoured memory of 77 of the school's sons who gave their lives during the war whilst serving with that famous regiment. Well, who wouldn't give three cheers for a day's holiday? 
Royal Highness, the Duke of Connaught, visits Kingston Barracks to inspect the Surrey branches of the British Legion. He is received by Major Gilbert E. Cohen, commanding the parade. As many as 94 branches are represented, with 21 women sections, and they and their flags make a brave show on the parade ground. It gives me the greatest pleasure to be here with you all today. I am one of those who am a great believer in the power of doing good in this country by the British Legion. Your association is largely to promote good fellowship, good behavior, and kindness and thoughtfulness when the Second World War started, he returned to military service and was seen as a grandfatherly figure for the new recruits. Sunday's bell, the Royal Military College, ring out to welcome His Royal Highness the Duke of Connaught, who at 87 is surely a model of magnificent old age. After greeting the officers at church parade, he attends the host Thanksgiving service in the College Memorial Chapel. On January 16, 1942, at the age of 91, only a little bit shy of his 92nd birthday, he would die at Bagshot Park. One of his last duties happened only two weeks before his death when he inspected two regiments of the Canadian Army at Aldershot. The Aldershot Command Corps of Military Police were honoured with one of the rare public appearances of the veteran Duke of Connaught. His Royal Highness is now 89. More than half a century ago, he was largely responsible for founding this corps which he now inspects. Today, the Duke walks with the aid of a stick. Yet he is indefatigable in his inspection of this smart unit of the Aldershot Command. It is interesting to recall that this grand old gentleman is the brother of the late King Edward the... After the inspection, His Royal Highness chatted with Mrs. Stilwell, wife of the Regimental Sergeant Major. Prime Minister Mackenzie King would write in his diary, quote, The morning was broken into by word of the death of the Duke of Connaught and necessity of hurriedly writing a small tribute for the evening papers and getting off the necessary telegrams to the King and Princess Patricia, end quote. King, in his public statement, would say, quote, Through the term of office, the Duke of Connaught as Governor-General was as long ago as the years of 1911 to 1916, his devotion to the duties of his office while in Canada, and the friendly interest which he took at the time in Canadians and in Canadian activities, won for His Royal Highness not only the lasting respect, but the affection of the Canadian people. End quote. The Kingston Whig Standard would state of Arthur, quote, There have been few of Canada's governors general who have held such a large place in the memories of Canadians after their term of office expired, as did the Duke of Connaught. This was partly because he was an excellent viceroy and highly popular with Canadians during the years while he was in Ottawa, and partly because he appeared to have as happy memories of Canada and as much affection for Canadians as Canadians had for him. End quote. In Canada, a neighborhood in Calgary is named for him, as is a street in Montreal and a community square in Charlottetown. Port Arthur, now Thunder Bay, was also named for him, as is the Connaught Railway Tunnel under the Selkirk Mountains in British Columbia. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at the Duke of Connaught. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. 
just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Keelan Pregnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from the Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's, Montreal Star, Edmonton News, Plain Dealer, Wikipedia, North Vancouver Express, Ottawa Citizen, Library and Archives Canada, Victoria Times Colonist, and the Kingston Wake Standard. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.